there tonight. Well, there are some alarming trends in the religious world today. Church attendance is in decline. Those who claim to be Christians are in decline in the, the world in the United States, I think in the world uh, around the globe, that religion is in decline. And unbelievers are claiming that traditional Christian teachings are harmful, that Christianity, they say, is the problem in the world, that if you teach strict, absolute biblical standards, you're a bigot and you are harming people, whatever it takes to try and get people to be religious. Many are changing worship to make it more entertaining changing the way that you worship, changing the message, making worship entertaining, making the sermons very benign and non-confrontational, don't mention specific sins, just have uplifting messages so that we can get more people to church. We can try and attract more people, attract a bigger crowd. And it's not isolated incidences where this is occurring. It's happening everywhere, and it seems to be a growing trend. And it's not just with the denominational world. There are so-called churches of Christ who have gone to bars and are holding church services in bars. If you paid attention to the news this week, someone at work highlighted this to me. The Church of England was in a conference this week, and they're considering changing how they refer to God and to begins to use gender-neutral language. This is the article from the New York Times. The Church of England is considering whether the use of gender-neutral terms to refer to God uh, should be used. There are no plans to abolish or substantially revise the existing liturgy, they say. The church said in an email statement, that Christians have recognized since ancient times that God is neither male nor female. The clergy is now weighing whether it could better reflect that in language used in its services. The variety of ways of addressing and describing God found in Scripture has not always been reflected in our worship, the statement said. There has been a greater interest in exploring new language since the introduction of our current forms of service in contemporary language more than 20 years ago. So there's Bigger interest now in changing how we refer to God. Don't call him he. Just use general, gender neutral terms. The Anglican Church said in its liturgical commission, which prepares and advises the church on a service, had been regularly considering the, this language since 2014. That commission has now asked another body, the Faith and Order Commission, which advises on theology, to examine the issue. The church did not provide specifics on how the commission would work and did not provide a timeline for its findings. There are absolutely no plans to abolish or uh, substantially uh, revise current authorized liturgies, and no such changes could be made without extensive legislation, the church said. In, church, in Christian denominations, God is often referred to with masculine pronouns in religious texts and prayers. Though many theological scholars and leaders argue that God, trans, God transcends gender, the Catechism of the Catholic Church says he's neither man nor woman, he is God. In 2018, the Church of England's Archbishop of Canterbury, the most reverend, Justin Welby, the problem with that title for sure, 
said that God was neither male nor female. The archbishop is its the spiritual leader of the Anglican communion, communion, which exists in the United States as the Episcopal Church with 85, members, 85 million members in 165 countries. And so they're going to go through and now consider changing that. This, uh, uh, an article from NPR, the title of it is, Gender-neutral terms for God are up for discussion, the Church of England says. So it's up for discussion. You can call God whatever you want, they say. You just make up your minds. Um, And so it goes that way. You also heard, perhaps, that the Church of England also voted in favor to bless same-sex marriages. And so the Church of England is moving with the times to try and stay relevant, try and attract more people. And it is no surprise that the Church of England would waffle and move with the times. You remember the Church of England was formed because King Henry VIII was mad at the Roman Catholic Church because they wouldn't let him annul his marriage. And so he started the Church of England. So it was started on the foundation of you just change the doctrine to fit whatever you want. And so why not on these subjects as well? As I mentioned, churches, in order to attract people, are moving to bars. This is an article about such an event in Fort Worth, Texas, where this church was moved, had moved into the Aardvark Bar, um, uh, where they would, on Sunday, meet uh, and worship there. It talks about how one person wipes up the vomit from Saturday night's party while the other person gets the, the band set up so that they can worship there. Churches are changing with the time. And so it appears that we ought to think about this because these churches appear to be having success. It appears to work when you soften the message, when you change the message to fit with the desires of mankind. The question for us tonight to consider is what do we need to change? Should we be changing the Bible? Should we change the message or do we need to change the man? Do we need to to maybe modify our Bibles, modify our teaching, modify our approach? If we change, maybe we can get more people in, and maybe that's a good thing. Change the message or change the man. Well, this brings up a topic that has to be addressed at the beginning of this uh, examining this question is the uh, topic and the idea of absolute truth. Does absolute truth exist? You know, there are many who in our world believe that absolute truth does not exist. There's no such thing as an absolute. That it changes with time. That what might have been true today probably wasn't true 50 years ago. And even more specifically, what is true today for you might not be true for me. And what is an absolute for you is by no means an absolute for me. It's all sort of blurry, it's fuzzy, and it changes. There's no such thing as absolute truth. You can't put your finger on it and say, this is truth and this is not changing. The Bible uh, is, tells us something different. In Jude, uh, Jude, verse three, Jude verse 3, Jude writes, Beloved, When I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. Notice, you're to earnestly contend for the faiths. This fuzzy idea of Christianity, no, the faith 
And that faith was once delivered. There's an absolute, Jews says. Now many would say, well, if you demand this, if you say there's an absolute truth, then you're going to scare people away. You're going to offend them. Jude wasn't worried about that, was he? Many people say, well, you just need to temper the faith or soften it so that it won't cause anyone to feel uncomfortable or be discouraged. Jude wasn't in the business of doing that, was he? He said we should earnestly contend for the faith that it was once delivered. Ephesians chapter 4 uses very exclusive language. Notice the ones that are mentioned here. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning of verse 4. There's one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. One faith. One faith. Not many. Not a fuzzy, kind of hard to define thing. No, Paul said there's one faith. And while we're here, did you notice this one God and Father of all? The Church of England is going to have to go back in their Bibles and use some whiteout if they're going to use general neutral terms here. All right, it doesn't change. Second John, beginning of verse 9. Second John, verse 9. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not care of his evil deeds, the doctrine... If anyone does, comes to you and does not bring the doctrine of Christ, it's not flexible. It's not ambiguous. It is the doctrine. And we must abide in that doctrine or else we're not pleasing to God. And if we're not abiding in that doctrine, if someone is not abiding in that doctrine, we're not to have any fellowship with them. We have no tolerance. There are absolutes. We have to understand that. And as Jesus is praying for His followers as He's about to be crucified, as He's praying to God, notice what He prays. In John 17, verse 17, sanctify them through this feeling that they have, this relative understand. No, sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy word is truth. Truth is singular here. And the truth is found here in God's word you know, a lot of times you're studying with people and you show them uh, passages in the Scripture say, well, that's what it says to you. That's not what it says to me. That's what it means to you. That's not what it means to me. Joseph had some conversations with some folks uh, from the church next door a few weeks ago. And they were going to have a Bible study and they were going to get together and talk about what God was saying to them in a book of the Bible. We'll just get together. What is God saying to me? What is he saying to you? With the idea, I think, implied that he might be saying something different to you than he's saying to me. Instead of we're going to get together and say, what, what does God's word say? It's what does it say to me. And it might be telling me that I need to do this, but it's not telling you that. You might have a different feeling about what it teaches. No, it teaches the truth. God's word is truth. It's singular. In John 14, verse 6, in John 14, verse 6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Very exclusive, isn't it? And notice what he says. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Does Jesus endorse tolerance or flexibility? Does Jesus say truth is hard to define, that it is relative? No, Jesus says truth is absolute. He is the truth. Over and over and over again. Throughout the Scriptures, we see this idea that truth is singular. 
In John 8, verse 32, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Not only is there an absolute standard, a standard that doesn't change, but you can know it and you can understand it. And what is our duty to do just that? What about this idea of absolute truth? Could there be such a true thing as a truth that's not absolute? Could you have a truth that's not absolute? Isn't that an oxymoron? Have a truth that's not a truth is a something that is established. Webster defines truth as that which is true. Statement that accords with fact. He defines true as something that is reliable, certain, not false, in accordance with fact. Truth is tied in with fact. Webster defines fact as the state of things as they are. Reality, actuality. Truth is connected to facts that are a fact of reality. Can two things that are different be truth? We don't understand that in other areas of our life. Two plus two equals four, and it always equals four. Try pulling that on your math teacher, kids. Well, I don't think that's absolute. It's just what it means to me. It's different than what it means to you. I always thought it was three. You say it's three, I'll say it's four. It doesn't matter. No. Truth is absolute. The law of gravity is an absolute. It's not something different for me than it is for you. It's absolute. Truth is absolute in the world around us, and God's truth is absolute as well. Truth is absolute. I want to tell you, as we think about this fact that there are absolute truths, then it is imperative on us that we teach the truth. A lot of people may not be wanting to argue with the Bible, but they're unwilling to teach what the Bible teaches. And if the truth is absolute and if God's Word doesn't change, then we need to be teaching the truth. Some people say that strong preaching of the gospel should be avoided. Many are afraid if we teach the truth of the gospel, then there will be people who are offended and they will leave and they won't be back to church. Some also claim that we shouldn't teach anything that makes people uncomfortable. You might scare them away. You might cause them psychological harm, they say, to teach something that might make someone uncomfortable. We need to be teaching the gospel. We need to teach the unadulterated gospel because that is the charge that we've been given. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning verse 2, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and dark doctrine. Preach what? The Word. The absolute truth of God's Word. But notice this. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts they shall heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables. Does that sound anything like the religious world around us? Does that sound anything like the Church of England that we looked at earlier? They're going to turn themselves from the truth of the gospel and be turned to fables? It sounds a whole lot like a fable to me, that we could envision God as something that's uh, gender neutral. That's a fairy tale. Because the Bible tells us that God is defined on masculine terms. Many in the religious world today 
are unwilling to hear the truths of the gospel because they have itching ears. They want the gospel to make them feel good. They want the gospel to tell them that they're okay like they are, that there are no changes required. And so they begin to merge and, and move the gospel and try and cause it to be something that's fuzzy because they don't want to hear the absolute truth. But we've been told, Timothy was told, preach the word in season and out of season. When it's popular and when it's not, we need to be preaching the word. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, or 13, Paul tells Timothy, Hold fast the form of sound words which you have heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Hold fast because it's absolute. Hold fast and teach these absolutes. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, he says, And the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is how you preserve the absolute truth, is you teach others who will then teach others who will then teach others. But if people today had their way with 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, it might read something like this. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, if it doesn't make them uncomfortable. The things you heard from me commit to faithful men, if it is in line with the popular thinking. The things that you've heard from me commit to faithful men if it doesn't cause people to be upset. No, it says commit to faithful witnesses, to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We must be teaching the gospel. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, beginning. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ will give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We need to understand the will of the Lord. It is an absolute. It needs to be taught, and we must understand it. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 in the house. Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul says, But if I am delayed, I write to you that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is to be the pillar and ground of the truth, upholding the truth so that it can be taught around the world. Churches today, unfortunately, are not pillars of the truth. They're not holding it up. Instead, churches today and the religious landscape around us today, churches today have let truth hit the ground. And they're actively trying to bury it. The Church of England is trying to bury the truths of the gospel. Churches everywhere around the world are trying to bury the truths of the gospel because they're not popular. Because they think if we teach it, it will cause people to leave the church. It will cause people to be angry and leave. And instead of upholding the truth, they're obfuscating and hiding, and changing the truth. We can never allow it to be. Absolute truth exists, and we must preach the truth. There are some people who say, well, maybe it does exist, but you know what? It's outdated. It's not still relevant today. The newest parts of truth that are in God's Word were written 2,000 years ago. And a lot has changed in 2,000 years. We have changed a lot. Our needs are different now. 
In fact, we understand a lot more than we did 2,000 years ago. And so those truths that were written in the Bible 2,000 years ago, they're not relevant to me today. They need to be changed. They need to be brought up and made more current. Those things that it wrote in the New Testament about homosexuality, about other things, they're not politically correct anymore. They need to be changed. They need to be updated. The Bible contradicts what many of the really smart people in our will be updated. Does the Bible need to be updated? Does it need a change? No. The Bible is still relevant today, just as relevant today as it was when it was written. Back to Jude verse 3. In Jude verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation... Uh, Oop, that's not Jude verse 3. That's wrong. I'm sorry. When I gave uh, 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 all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. The faith was once delivered to the saints. And Colossians chapter 2 verse 8, notice this passage. Colossians 2 verse 8, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. According to the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. You see, when we change the word, or we abandon the word for what modern thinking is, and modern desires, and modern understanding is, we cheat ourselves, don't we? Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Did you see in that article we looked at where the Church of England is thinking about changing the way that we refer to God and using gender-neutral gender terms? Did you see any reference to Scripture in that article? Was there one reference of Scripture? No. Why? Because they're using the basic principles of the world, the traditions of men. They're changing the Word of God, and it doesn't change. It is still relevant today. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus doesn't change. His truths, therefore, do not change. His will for us is the same will that it was 2,000 years ago. It does not change. The Scriptures teach us that the Word is constant, regardless of the times. Regardless of whether it's popular or not, the truth does not change. The listeners are the ones who need to change. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 2 through 4 again. Paul warned Timothy. He said, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. There are going to be times when the word is popular and when it's not. In season and out of season. There are going to be times when people want to hear the message and times when they don't want to hear the message. Paul told Timothy, you preach the message. Not that you change the message. Not that if it gets to be unpopular, try and figure out what would make it popular so you can preach it that way. No, preach the word whether it's popular or not. The Bible is relevant today. We don't need to change it. We don't need to make it more relevant. It already is relevant. It's from God. And so the answer to our question tonight is what needs to change, the message or the man, it is clear from the Scriptures that what needs to change is the man. We must conform to the message, not the other way around. The passage that Joseph read for us in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 beginning. 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here's something that changes. In fact, we're instructed that it needs to change. And what needs to change? Me or this? I'm the one who has to change. I'm the one who has to conform to what this word says. I'm the one who needs to change. We'll never be transformed if the word that is taught and the preaching that we use doesn't force us to change, doesn't make us uncomfortable, doesn't show us where we're deficient as it comes to lining up with what God's will for us is. Many in the religious world are changing this instruction or ignoring this instruction. But it's clear. The Bible tells us that man must change to fit the message. The fact of the matter is that that's uncomfortable, isn't it? Changing is not comfortable. Admitting that we are wrong, admitting that we need to do something different, admitting that we don't line up to the standard is not a comfortable thing. And instead of Admitting that, many just ignore what the Scriptures teach, but the truth is absolute. And it is this, brethren, that is going to judge us on the last day. We need to make sure that we're in line with God's will for us. That will that is absolute. That will that we must be preaching today. That will that it will be, is relevant now and will be relevant as long as the world stands. We need to conform to that. The question for you tonight is, are you conforming? Are you living like God would have you to live? If there's anyone here tonight that could use our help spiritually, we would encourage you to let us know while we stand and while we sing.